Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ever wanted to break out of your cubicle and into a business where you can call the shots? You Break Guy Fix is looking for passionate self-starters interested in a franchise opportunity in the booming electronics repair industry. At You Break Guy Fix, we help reconnect people to the devices that they rely on so that they can get back to what matters most. This is a big responsibility, and from the moment you join our family, our franchisees are provided with the resources and support to bring affordable and convenient electronics repair to your community. Did we mention that with amazing partners like Samsung and Google, You Break I Fix franchisees also have access to the highest quality parts and personalized training out there, as well as specialized tools. It's true. And it's also easy to visit YouBreakIFix.com forward slash franchising and learn more about your big break at your very own You Break I Fix. Now you're very welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown Episode 2. It is the podcast that looks at the XG and performance of Celtic FC. We're getting a little bit deeper into Celtic's performances and mainly talking about the defence, the key issue of Celtic's performances this year. And I'm joined on the line, as always, by Juco James and by Alan Morrison, a.k.a. Celtic by Numbers. Alan, we'll start with you. A very easy question to start off. What is going wrong with Celtic's defence this year? (laughs) It's a very easy question and probably quite a long answer. Uh, I think we're going to focus on a couple of things today. But, um, obviously, we've got new personnel. We've got the same problems we have every season. It seems where the centre-back pairing gets uh, is, is not is not a stable combination. Um, it, it, embedding in new players, the, the key combination of Julian and I are being absent. But then I think we'll also probably get on to things like fundamentally is the team structured and set up in a way that's going to give us the best uh, the best chance to keep goals out, frankly. I, I do think that there is a broader conversation when we're talking about the defence that the midfield definitely plays a role in it, but we're not going to go that deep into it because we want to focus really on the three key defenders, and that is Chris Julian, Christopher Ayer, and Shane Duffy as well, the new man. I should say that we are all on Twitter as well. You can follow all of us, Juco James, Celtic by Numbers, I'm in the call. And also the Huddle Breakdown is on Twitter as well. Just search the handle Huddle Breakdown and you can follow it. That's where we'll be posting all the content over the next couple of weeks. James, so we're looking at a new man in the Celtic defence. And I know that you had an issue with the signing of Shane Duffy uh, initially. So explain that. Why don't you think Shane Duffy suited Celtic to begin with? Sure. So one one of the basic things I do is from an analytics perspective is benchmarking. Uh, it's kind of a, a analytics 101 concept. 
So one of the things I did when the rumors started about Shane Duffy was look at, and there was, uh, you know, some discussion at the time as far as whether we would be making three, five, two playing three at the back as, as the primary shape for this season. And so I started to look at proxies, what, what, what clubs in Europe are using uh, three defenders at the back and what do the, the profiles look like for those types of players? I mean, that uh, Inter Milan, for example, or um, Hoffenheim, uh, Atalanta, you know, 3-4-1-2, 3-4-2-1 have become more in vogue, uh, particularly with some analytics-heavy clubs. Even uh, Brendan Rodgers has started to use it a little bit at Leicester. So I basically looked at uh, what the profile looked like for a right center back or a left center back and um, neither Julian nor Duffy really fit that. Um, in fact, uh, to me, Duffy profiled very similar to Julian. Um, so the fit to me never really made sense if, if we were going to make uh, three five two our, our primary shape. Otherwise, Duffy would then become a depth player because I didn't think he was you know, better than Julian um, and, and certainly not better than Iyer. And... Uh, then the question becomes, well, why are we allocating resources um, for one of our, you know, kind of primary summer transfer window uh, people to a depth piece instead of um, improving the, the, the starting 11? So um, it just didn't make sense to me from the start once I did that kind of benchmarking and, and proxying. And it looked to me like almost like a uh, back to the future, uh, which seems to be a theme with, with uh, Lennon as far as maybe looking more towards reconstituting a similar back three as what the, the glory uh, days with, under Martin O'Neill. Um, so that, that, that was kind of how I viewed it. Yeah, well, it's an interesting one because I suppose a lot of people see three at the back as quite a modern invention, but it's not. It's, it's been there for a while. People have tried it. It's, also, it's, it's almost like a, a reinvention of what the AC Milan teams did in the 90s, and it's, it's sort of developed a little bit further than that. There are a couple of things before we get into the stat that we do need to explain for the listeners and for the viewers. So there's going to be a, co- a couple of words and lingo stats talk that you need to uh, sort of explain to the listeners, Alan. So we're going to be looking at key points when we're talking about Shane Duffy and comparing them to other defenders, defenders from the Ronnie Dyla era all the way up to the Neil Lennon era and also with the current crop of defenders that Celtic have. So we have the defensive action success rate and the defensive action possession win. So can you explain what the difference are between those and what those actually mean? Of course, yeah. So if you're on YouTube, you'll be seeing some nice uh, pretty diagrams. If you're not, I'll try and uh, explain the words, uh, the pictures and words. So defensive action success rate is a bit of a mouthful, but essentially it's a percentage. Uh, uh, so on the one on the positive side, you've got things like the number of tackles won, the number of uh, headers, heading duels won, interceptions, etc. And on the on the and on the other side, the negative side, you've got um, you know obviously tackles lost, headers lost, um, missed missed blocks, and things like that so it's essentially it's a ratio between the two and you're really looking for a high percentage especially for a centre-back because centre-backs obviously are the deepest and most central players in the team and therefore you you want them to be pretty much winning nearly all their duels if you can because otherwise you're going to be very exposed so so high a high number is good Uh, possession win percentage is really uh, is, is is a bit of overlap but essentially 
it's it's not just it's not just looking did you win the tackle but actually did you win the tackle and Celtic kept possession so it's the percentage of your actions that result in your team keeping possession of the ball because again possession it's not, there's no point flying into tackles if you're constantly giving the ball away uh, because then you know you're in transition and then you know, that's a real dangerous situation so what we do is uh, what I do is I plot both of those and it gives a pretty good indication of overall defensive soundness obviously it's not a it's not looking at players in totality in terms of all of their attributes it's purely looking at defensive actions and um, when I'm when I'm sort of plot those two variables the defensive action success rate possession win percentage um, you get it actually meets the eye test quite well in terms of you get at the top right-hand corner with the players with very high ratios, which is good. You get players like uh, Van Dijk, uh, Ayer, Julian Benkovic in the middle, the sort of middle class. You get players like uh, Sviachenko, Semenovic, uh, Boyata, uh, even Denier, but remember he was very young. And then in the sort of bottom left, the sort of corner of sadness, you get, uh, you know, <laughs> Hendry and Ambrose. So in terms of, in terms of the eye test, it, it kind of, these, these numbers, I think, do kind of pass that. We need to start a new segment called the corner of sadness for any time a player has a, <laughs> a bottom a really left bad... corner of sadness. <laughs> yeah, James, what are, what are you looking for then? Do you go, go along the same sort of lines or is there anything else that you're looking for in a defender in terms of their uh, attributes? Sure. So um, Alan adeptly summarized some of the defensive aspects. I think that the key, and this comes back to the question of fit with, with Duffy relative to Celtic, meaning that uh, given you know, the, the disparity between a Brighton and the English Premier League and their style of play uh, relative to Celtic and then being a possession-dominant attacking side with playing a high line, um, you know, you, when, again, when you go back to looking at profiles of, of teams that play three at the back, if you're going to have a right or a left center back, ball progression is an important aspect. Passing, uh, being able to advance the ball, break lines, dribble out, that's obviously what Iyer uh, excels at is breaking lines through dribbling progressive runs so there's all these terminologies that uh, it's, it's really a language of analytics but they're very commonsensical I mean a progressive pass or a pack pass uh, is basically taking out defensive lines and progressing the ball and the idea is you're just basically getting more attackers relative to the number of defenders by taking out those those players and what what, what you look at is and what you see is that Duffy is not very good in those areas of the game, and we've certainly seen that um, through his time already at Celtic. And uh, you know, I, I always joke, you know, the the eye test is important, but I think that this is where we get into where analytics is important as well. So when I first started looking at at, at Duffy, I got uh, romanticized a little bit by looking at some of his wide scout clips because uh, I was evaluating his long passing. And, um, you know, there's, as, as with any player, if you look at five years of history of long passes, there's going to be some that are pretty good. Uh, so there's, you know, it's always confirmation bias. I looked at it, I was like, wow, some of these are really great. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, maybe he's a better passer than what the numbers are showing me or, you know, some of the third-party independent analysts, uh, uh, scouts that I had read some reports on Duffy. Um, and it just goes to show that uh, we can you know, be irrational when we view things and uh, – uh, our eyes can trick us at times and want, make us want to see things that we <laughs> that aren't necessarily there. So the other the other aspect of um, looking at defenders and Alan touched upon that as far as the distinction with possession win, and this was also pretty evident in the data is that um, uh, Duffy is quite wild in his aerial behavior. 
So uh, that, that can flatter to deceive in, in ways um, so that, you know, in corners, for example, he gets to more balls than, let's say, Julian, but the efficiency of his heading is actually lower. So his right. XG per shot, let's say. So actually their overall XG is very similar in their history, even if you look at Julian's time at Toulouse versus uh, Duffy's time at, at Brighton. So they're both very good in the air, but Julian is a little more controlled. And I think we see that defensively as well with, with Duffy, where he's, he attacks a lot of balls in the air. But as Allen data captures with that possession win percentage, he heads a lot of them to the other team because <laughs> he's just yeah. moving them out of there. In, 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 the, in the opposition box, it's called bravery. Right. In, in, in your own box, it's recklessness. Because you're really, you're really, it's not just that you are chasing something that perhaps you can't get. You're actually disrupting the whole defensive shape. Yeah, you're, uh, you're throwing yourself about. That's, what, that's a real issue. What, what it's called. There, was, there, was, there was an incident, there's a corner in the Lille game where the ball is nearly at the back post and it's possibly drifting out of play and Bain's got it covered. And Bain actually tipped it out for another corner, but he got absolutely wiped out by Duffy. Why was Duffy chasing that? And that's just one little snippet of, of what of what he of what he does. Because if you actually look at where we talked about the defensive action success, possession win, where would Duffy be uh, on that benchmark? He would actually be kind of in the middle, which isn't disastrous, right? We're not talking Jack Henry here, who, yeah. you know, who wasn't off the standard needed, but he's a young kid. Um, he's kind of in the middle uh, when you average it all out. But the problem is, if you look at the centre-back profile that Celtic buy, Celtic generally buy young central defenders who hopefully mature into better players, or occasionally they'll buy a very experienced pro like a Toure. But, um, and, and that's why the Julian signing was fascinating, because actually he was coming into his prime from an age profile and he costs a lot of money and he's been a fantastic success. So I'm not saying do that all the time, but clearly... That, that worked, but it was very different. Now, Duffy is more, as, as James says, Duffy is more like uh, what Julian should be. He's, he's 28 years old. He should be in his prime. He's, he's got 80 or whatever, how many caps for Ireland. Uh, and he's, he's EPL, uh, you know, he's, 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 he's EPL experienced. He sh- it, it all sounds perfect, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think where it comes in and where the context comes into Duffy is that for his career and he, he was very much a player who thrived on being a leader within a team that were backs to the wall the entire time. And now that he is coming into his prime, he's being asked to do something that is brand new to him in both for country and club as well, because Ireland have completely revamped the way that they want to play. So there's more demands on him that way. And there's also more demands on him at a club level. What I found interesting with Duffy was that he was playing on the right side of the three. And I immediately thought that makes absolutely no sense because if you're playing a back back three, you want the, the two players playing to the left and the right to be the ball playing defenders that are going to be carrying the ball out of the, the defense. And then the center back is the guy who's there to when your back's to the walls. And I thought Julian was a better suit to the right side and Shane Duffy to the centre, but that's not how it's worked out. In terms of the actual numbers, when we're comparing and contrasting the three defenders, so the three key terms that we, we talked about there, the defensive action success rate, Shane Duffy has a 74% success rate, Chris Julian has 78%, and Christopher Iyer has 73%, and then in the possession wins, Shane Duffy is 90%, and Chris Julian has 83 and Christopher Iyer has 86 So the numbers aren't amazingly different there but I I suppose one of the key numbers that you're looking at then is the error rate and Shane Duffy's is much higher than the the other two defenders 
Absolutely. So I'll just say that um, Julian and Iris' performances this season, and bear in mind Julian's not played a lot, uh, are actually down down a bit. And I think that's probably more of a, an interesting and wider conversation about just the whole you know, efficacy of the Celtic defence this season versus last, right? So if you compare their careers, he's quite a long way behind Julian and Iris in terms of their Celtic career. Again, small sample. But where where the differentiator with Duffy, uh, who's, 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 I suppose, a kind of middle-class defender when we expect it to be buying a top-end defender, is, is that error rate. And again, for those on, on YouTube, defensive errors per 90 minute. If I'm saying what does good look like, um, well, the average is about 0.6 per 90 minutes, which means you're making one sort of ricket, one real bad error uh, every other game. Um, if you want to know what bad looks like, then you're looking at Ambrose, which is over one a game. Uh, Duffy is actually 1.2 a game and he's actually eclipsing Ambrose, Toure, Bitten, Boyata who are all kind of seen as being error prone. Duffy, Duffy is way, way over that and, and into, into red territory. And, and, and if, you look at, if you look at some of the incidents and in some of the big games, because he had a nice start, right? Ross County, Livingston, um, Riga away. Uh, we're all, it was a nice start for him. He scored a couple of goals and we all thought, oh, this is going to be good. But then when you when you actually look at him in the games that matter, the games against the Rangers, the games in, uh, against Milan and Lille, this is where Celtic players uh, really need to be judged. Um, and, and, and then certain themes start to come in when you look at his play. Um, he's, he's getting pulled out of position. There's a number of instances where, especially uh, as the right-sided player, He's trying to compensate for the fact that he thinks Frimpong's going to lose a header, right? And this is defending 101. I mean, you do your job, okay, and you, another, and you trust your teammates to do their job. And if you think that Frimpong's going to lose a header, which, let's face it, you probably will, then you let him lose the header and you're there and, and you anticipate where that second ball is going to be. And more often than not, you'll, you'll cut out the danger. But he goes looking for work. He, he's, if anything, he's, I guess it's overreach, I guess you'd call it, right? Overreach is one of his biggest issues. And whether he's doing that because that's how he plays, I don't know, or whether he's really desperate to impress and he's just effectively let's call it trying too hard I don't know but what it causes systemic breakdown in the whole defence when that happens and two of the goals against Aberdeen that we conceded were, were, were down to that the, the whole defensive structure broke down because Duffy went chasing the ball uh, and, 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 and he, I'll, I'll, there's no doubt that he's been a little bit unlucky in the sense that every time he does something like that and he, and he does uh, do something stupid uh, we seem to concede a goal, and, and that isn't always the case, but it does seem to be happening that way. I mean, he was badly exposed against Milan, where again, overcompensating to cover for Welsh, who actually had been pretty solid to that point, and, and Frimpong, who were kind of a bit exposed on the right. Again, he by overcompensating, Ibrahimovic had so much space to, to, to drop deep, turn and feed people in. It was just, it, you know, it was just a masterclass in that respect, but he, he probably couldn't believe his luck. There was an interesting conversation had at the beginning and it, it was a clip that sort of went viral and it even made it to the Celtic press conference. It actually came from the place where I work off the ball. Gary Breen, the former Ireland international, said that Shane Duffy would go up to Scotland and absolutely dominate. And he said that he worried about his international form because he wouldn't be coming up against the quality of player week in, week out. And that, that is largely true when you're talking about the Ross Counties, the Kilmarnocks, and even as, as low down as Hibernian. But the difference, and I suppose it's sort of a false prophecy when you're buying a Premier League defender, is that he never would have come up against AC Milan playing for Brighton. He never would have, he wasn't expected to be in the first half of the table in, in the Premier League. He was playing for a team that were very much surviving relegation. So 
Celtic Rangers, AC Milan, Europa League, that is a level above where Shane Duffy has ever played. So that is more context to where his performances may actually lie against these teams. This is the highest level that he's played at because, number one, he can't make a mistake because once he makes a mistake, that's it. And that's where he's going to get judged and that's where he's going to come down and be criticised by players and by fans for his performances. James, your overall view on where Duffy's at in comparison to the other defenders in the Celtic team at the minute? Yes, I want to offer a little bit of hope. Um, And I I think, you know, given, as Alan said, the, the, the level of sample size that we're dealing with here is relatively small. Um, there's some extenuating circumstances uh, with, with Duffy in his personal life. Um, you know, he didn't play all that much over the last year. Uh, so I don't think it's unreasonable to think that that error rate is something that could mean revert. You know, as an as a analytics, analytics geek uh, speak would mean that he could go for through, a, as they say, a purple patch here for an extended period where his error rate really drops. Uh, so if you think about average, he's been absolutely terrible so far. Uh, for him to get back to average, an average uh, an error rate, he'd have to go through a period of time where he's actually better than average to kind of balance it out. So, And I think that's a general theme for Celtic um, that I think overall, and I'm still very concerned about some of these structural issues, um, but we've been so bad over the last month, you know, to six weeks in so many different ways um, that – there's some reasonable hope that we will have a pickup in, in a variety of things. Um, so things like air rate um, can certainly mean revert and get better. Finishing can get better. Uh, some of these other things that are kind of plaguing us, even if we have the same structural issues in midfield that we've had, for example, uh, you know, we might be playing players in position better than we did earlier in the season. You know, midfielders not playing good striker and two striker systems, that kind of thing. Um, so I, I think there's actually some optimism in, in the intermediate term here relative to Duffy. I think the bigger question comes back to who's first choice relative to the shape. And I think that's where Allen's done a lot of great work on um, kind of the Julian Iyer pairing and um, how elite that has been within the historical context. Uh, so to me, if we're going to stay with a back four, I, I don't really think it's that difficult of a decision to make who should be, assuming Julian gets back to being fit. Um, but I don't have a lot of confidence that that's going to be the decision that's made. And I think that we come back to this issue of um, decision-making at the club, and who's making the decisions and whether those decisions have been good ones or not. And And that's, you know, I keep coming back to this over and over again, which is I just keep seeing decisions made that aren't well grounded um, from an analytics perspective. And and I think that would be an example. I mean, if we go to back to Duffy, you know, it's going to take some time for Julian to get back up to speed. But if he's fully fit, all three of them are fully fit, do I have confidence that they're going to play the right players, quote unquote, you know, the arrogance of my uh, <laughs> that I know who the, the, the right players are. But the evidence is there. And I, and I think it definitively should be Julian with Iyer. Yeah, I think that's what surprised a lot of people was that when Julian was fit, it was still Shane Duffy that was starting in the team. And maybe it is time to give Shane Duffy a rest and let his head get back to normal and let his confidence sort of regroup because he hasn't been ha- having a good time at all this year. So I, I definitely well, think... Can I interject on it? Because cool. this goes back to one of the issues with, you know, I, I never understood this obsession with 
Julian basically having one or two bad games on turf against Dykes, right? And he gets this label that he gets bullied by strikers. Um, you know, and you compare that to his performances against Rangers in the cup final, Rangers all, all three games last season, uh, his performance against Lazio, Ren. I mean, he, he had a terrific season last year. Uh, and he had a pedigree coming in from Toulouse that was completely supported by his data as well. Mm-hmm. So to have this uh, theme developed, it seems to be even have been, you know, I don't know, we've heard people at the club say things about this as well. Like, you know, and, and, it, and if you look at um, some third-party analysts that have done some reporting uh, on, like, Jamie Finley at Modern Football did a piece on, on uh you know, Julian's time at Celtic and how he gets left exposed. I mean, we, we know this. We've seen this with Duffy right now as well. Mm-hmm. This is not unique to, to Julian, where if the fullbacks are bombing forward and the midfield's a mess, your your center backs are going to get exposed sometimes yeah. mm-hmm. and throw in the AstroTurf that they're not used to playing on, weird bounces and guys that are used to it. And, you know, Dykes is uh, a, a competent striker. He's a physical, tough guy. So that's a tough matchup. So the fact that we surrender two or three goals in an entire season within that context and that we need to replace Julian because of that, I think yeah, is madness. Just, just madness. I never understood it. I think it was crazy decision-making if that was actually a root driver and catalyst for this. Um, and, and that's why I come back to it's, it's It's an either or. Either we were misshapen and we were going to go three at the back with those three players, which didn't make any sense to me, or – we were bringing in Duffy to replace Julian, which is probably even worse mm-hmm. from a decision-making perspective. Yeah. Uh, Julian's the inverse of Duffy in the sense that he actually, his mistakes are against the Ross Counties and the Kilmarnocks. He, he, his concentration dips against uh, lesser opposition. And that's probably why he didn't play for a team higher up in, 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 in the French League. Uh, but against the better teams in the Europa League and in the big matches in Scotland, he he was virtually error free, Julian. He, he was in, in, immense, uh, and, and his game stepped up incredibly. And he's got a partnership with Ayer that, as I say, that according to the, the, the benchmarking stats that I use, is the best that we've had since Van Dyke and Denier. And you know, Van okay. Dyke is reputedly the best defender in the world, and Denier, you know, plays for Lyon and is a regular in the Belgian in the Belgian team. We were ranked first in the world, so you know that that that's a pretty a uh, pretty good benchmark, I would say. And and, and Julian and I are, are in that sort of space. But I agree with James, uh, and I don't want this to turn into a, a Duffy bashing session. As I say, there's some poor recruitment choices there, and there's also some structural issues, which I, I'll echo. Uh, you know, when you think about Celtic under Rodgers, uh, and even before, you had Lustig at right back, who is first and foremost a defender, and his other key skill was that he his long passing was excellent. So he could sit deep and still take Celtic forward. And when Tierney bombed forward on the other side, he could shuffle in, mm-hmm. and effectively he could form a three. And secondly, on, you had Tierney on the other side. Tierney was obviously a, a very attacking player, but he, he, you know he's, he's like Christine and McGinn. He's just got incredible energy. And, and, and actually, Tierney uh, had that wonderful gift for uh, not overcomplicating his defending. He defended to, to first principles. And if he had to kick the ball out, he'd kick the ball out. If he had to just boot it out of the park, he'd boot it out of the park. Um, he didn't complicate the game like, like Duffy is, is doing. But you know, Duffy, Julian, I are now not don't have that framework to work within. They've got two winger, two two fullbacks now who are essentially you know 
wing backs who are yeah. bombing forward. Uh, there's constant, you know, Brown can't cover both sides. Uh, he can barely cover the middle, frankly. And so, and, and, and actually, this, this, as we saw against Lille, 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 that Lille second half to me was one of the most alarming things I've seen in terms of structural defensive issues for Celtic. And the reason I say that is, you know, because everyone thinks, oh, that was a great result. You know, Lille are a top team, the joint top of the French league. Uh, they, they've spent millions on players. They had an array of talent on the pitch. And we got a draw. Isn't that fantastic? We looked at, And actually, in the first half, we looked like we looked like a really good Europa League side. Mm-hmm. We went 2 nil up. We maximised our, our chances. Um, but in that second half was an absolute shambles of game management. And, the spa- and, the, and it, it really started with the fact that the spacing the, the spacing between the midfield and the defence was 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 too great. We actually got so James mentioned packing, and again, apologies. I'll just very simply. So packing would be um, if if I passed to James, and you were the defender, and and the ball went past you, so that you're now you're now behind the ball. Uh, effectively, I've packed you. I've taken you out of the game. You're okay. you're now you're now not impacting the game. You're, you're the ball's now uh, in, in sort of behind, you know behind you in that sense. So the, obviously, the more players you can take out of the game, the less defenders between you and the goal. Right? It's a very simple concept. Celtic had their whole, not 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 one, but Celtic had their whole midfield, their whole midfield packed, taken out of the game by a single pass eleven times between when they scored their second goal and the 60th minute. I mean, that's just incredible. That is just a fundamental failure, systemic failure to set your team up in a competent way. The spacing was too great. It was too too large of a gap. Uh, we, we, we weren't aligned properly. Um, and, 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 you know, within after 15 minutes of the second half, Lille had completed 117 passes and Celtic completed five. We'd completely lost control of a game that you were 2-0 up and you should be controlling. You should be compact. You should be tight. You should be, you know, taking your time at throw-ins, all these nasty, horrible things you should be doing when you're 2-0 up against a good side away from home. We did none of those. And it's, it's about game management. It's about basic shape, but basic defensive competency. So when we talk about Duffy, we talk about errors, and we talk about him rushing to compensate and perhaps put out fires in places. We have to see it in that context of the framework and the system that, that he's working in. Yeah, the, the overreaching context of all of this is that the centre-backs are not the only issue within the side. It's a much broader conversation in terms of the wing-backs getting forward and nobody there to replace them and the midfield not having the legs to cover the ground that they need to do that in order to cover the wing-backs who aren't being replaced by another. Yeah, and, and, and the fundamental spacing between yeah, the players. Exactly. The, the, the One team wing, is just too stretched. It's a, it's, an old, it's a very old-school way of playing football. It's essentially one goes, one stays. If the right wing-back is gone, then your left wing back is is pulling in, or if your left wing back is going forward, if you're playing attacking, one of your centre defensive midfielders sits and he fills in the gap left there. It's filling gaps with human beings, and if you don't do that, yeah. then you get opened up very easily. And that's just the way the football happens, I suppose. It, it it's been a very negative uh, show in terms of Shane Duffy and how the defence is going. Before we finish up, we only have about seven eight minutes left to go, so. The Celtic defence at the minute, what I'm taking from this conversation is that Christopher Iyer and Chris Julian, when fit, are the partnership going forward for Celtic. And there's no other arguing against that. Agreed. Yeah, 100%. Uh, yeah, I have a hard time coming up with a scenario where that shouldn't be the case. Great. Then we've solved, in, in less than 35 minutes, we have managed to solve the entire issue with Celtic's defence. <laughs> well, back to line. Well, let me, let me so let, let let me be a downer quick again. So that's just the center backs, um, and and 
as as you you two were just uh, discussing with the fullbacks bombing forward the issue there becomes one of what's the opportunity cost right so we have these two fullbacks that are have the um the freedom to bomb forward um and leaving the flanks exposed with, with an, a 35 year old midfielder having trouble covering um and their output in attack makes it, me wonder the coherence of that decision. So it's not as if, um, you know, watching that game on Sunday, I think it was, with Tierney playing wingback for Scotland, is a beautiful reminder of uh, love lost. <laughs> so his, his crossing in that game was absolutely terrific. And his ability to get to the byline and cut back, which – I think Alan probably knows this better than I even, but I think statistically those kind of crosses are, are uh, one of the most dangerous in, in football. So, um, you know, we do yeah. not have that anymore. Uh, so you, you had an optimization, let's say, with, with under a Rodgers system where you had Tierney bombing forward and getting the output from making that uh, decision. Now we have two fullbacks bombing forward and their end product, and I'll be charitable at this point, is mediocre at best. So we're, we're creating this defensive vulnerability within the context of the status of our midfield, and that end product is not great. So again, I get back to coherence. How is that coherent? How, how is that, you know, if I think about this within a puzzle, <laughs> uh, I could see... You know, for example, to me, Bolin Gully made more sense conceptually. I'm not saying he's a better player than Laxalt, but he was focused more on going forward. His relative strengths were going forward compared to his defensive output, mm-hmm. right? So to me, if you're going to have attacking fullbacks, maybe they should be tilted a little bit more towards the attacking side <laughs> uh, as far as their output. And I think Laxalt is tilted very heavily in the other direction, and Frimpong is basically a progression star with not a lot on the other two sides, meaning that his, his passing and crossing and creative ability and certainly his shooting, uh, which you wouldn't think for a fullback is all that important, but he's so good on the ball. He gets into the box way more than fullbacks normally do. Money. And then he doesn't do anything with it productively. Hmm. So, uh, so well, that's that's why he was turned into a fullback by Manchester City because his, his final the third oh, quality. And he's a kid. I mean, he's yeah, and he's a kid. He can still maybe develop in that sense. But so we get back to this issue of structure and and yeah. and you know what are we doing? So yeah. these guys so, bombing forward, they're not great at creating, leaving the defense exposed with a midfielder who's thirty-five. It's like I, I feel like I'm going nuts. So, so you're right. It comes back to what you said about the Duffy recruitment. We've we've recruited centre backs to play a four, and we've recruited wide players to play a three th- to play wing backs. That's really where we are. Our full backs are, are actually wing backs, and I would be better suited in a five in a, in a three five two, and our centre backs are more suited to a back four. Yeah, and the recruitment uh, reflects both of those things at the same time. And that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and it's good to be, and it's good to be flexible, right? But you've got to have the players mm-hmm. to, to do that. And throw in two holding midfielders, neither of which are natural holding midfielders, and one who's thirty-five and in a normal aging decline, and both of which run around a lot, ball chasing. Throw in Duffy ball chasing. I mean, it, 
when we discuss this and we look at the numbers and you think about, you know, the eye test, what we have seen, all of this makes sense to the average supporter watching these games. The question is, from an analytics perspective, is could you have seen this coming with competent analysis? And I think that's ultimately, you know, kind of what we're talking about on the show and trying to accomplish is thinking about, okay, well, we're going to look at historical performance. We're going to look at current performance. And then we're going to try to extrapolate that and look into the future and try to forecast. And I think this was not all that difficult to forecast. Uh, It was pretty obvious that these pieces were going to have a tough time fitting together. And that's ultimately what the concern I've been expressing for months now is I don't understand how these decisions are being made Mm -hmm. relative to how, you know, to me, somewhat obvious they are. Uh, And now we're seeing them reflected on the field. And I think they are obvious to everybody, but yet we still aren't having decisions made to address them structurally. Yeah. And we keep saying, well, ultimately, whether or not it's Duffy or Julian, if we don't fix these other problems, these structural problems, they're both going to be left exposed. And we're going to be right back. You know, maybe it'll improve a little bit on the margins relative to Iron Julian versus Iron Duffy. Maybe the error rate will be lower. But that's still not going to address the fullback issues, the midfield issues. And, you know, it's the old saying about the chains only as strong as the weakest link. And we've got multiple weak links here. Yeah. Um, we, we might come back to the midfield and how that's structured and how that affects the overall performance. But we're right out of time this weekend. Hopefully that we get a better performance, first of all, and a win against Hibernian on three o'clock on this Saturday. And we've been boosted by Iyer being available for this because that was a risk. And I just, before we finish up as well, congratulations to all of our Scottish fans for qualifying for the Euros. It is absolutely brilliant. And I'm, as an Irishman, I'm delighted that I'll actually have a team to support at the Euros this year because <laughs> it's been fairly depressing watching Celtic and watching Ireland over the last couple of months. Hopefully the performances start to pick up from there. Again, if you want to listen back to this podcast, it's available on iTunes, Spotify, Spreaker, YouTube. It's all over the place, anywhere you want to find it. And you can follow us on uh, Twitter as well, at The Huddle Breakdown. We're on Instagram as well. We'll be sharing out all these statistics, all the graphics and all the podcast as well over the next couple of weeks hope you enjoyed this episode james and alan thanks very much Cheers, yeah, thanks Andy. take care
Get ready to cheer on Team USA. Sign up for Xfinity Internet and get a Flex 4K streaming box free and Peacock Premium included. Can your internet do that? Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Peacock subscription required. Xfinity, proud partner of Team USA. The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.